Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. Check out nhte.net. Be sure to sign up for the email newsletter there, which is quick and easy. All that's required is an email address. And be sure you are subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends to do so as well. You can find the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and TuneIn Radio. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from California, my guest is on his way out the door to go on the road for more live shows as the drummer for Joe Walsh. His career included similar work with the likes of Neil Young and Mark Knopfler, Plus, he has played with the likes of Bonnie Raitt, Jackson Brown, Peter Frampton, Lady Antebellum, the list goes on. He has even been nominated for the Academy of Country Music Award for Drummer of the Year. It's my pleasure to welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Chad Cromwell. Hi there, folks. How are you doing today? Hey, Chad. uh, I know you're about to get back on the road, so thanks for making time to do this. Well, glad to do it. Happy to do it, Bruce. Listeners, this is actually the milestone 750th interview of Chad's illustrious career. <laughs> okay, okay I'm, I'm, I'm making that up. <laughs> but but Chad, wow, you, you have done so many interviews over your long career. I, I think the pressure is on here to find questions that you have not been asked before, or, or at least questions that you haven't been asked in a long time. <laughs> well, I think you're going to be the man that's going to unearth the rocks that okay. haven't been turned over yet. Okay. Well, let's <laughs> let's do the let's do the one that I asked of Aileen Quinn back on episode 167 of this show when I was on location at the NAM show in California at the beginning <laughs> of this year. Her band is called Aileen Quinn and the Leapin' Lizards because back in the early 80s she starred in the title role of the motion picture Annie about the little orphan. So, Chad, oh, I, wow. I said to Aileen I said, because of that movie, you probably get asked a lot of the same questions over and over after all these years. But what, Aileen, is something that you don't get asked about that you wish interviewers would bring up? So how about that for oh. you, Chad? Wow. Well, that, that's right out of the gate. You're from fastball. But, uh, In the spirit uh, of the World Series, right? <laughs> that's really good. You know what? I think uh, I would probably say because of my heritage, I would, I would say, you know, uh, a question that would be regarding my upbringing and musical upbringing and influences of Memphis, Tennessee, that would be, that would be a, a, like a place that I would always like to hear more about from interviewers, just because the, you know, it's the heritage of that city and the, and it's music is, is second to none really. And and it's it's a beautiful it's a beautiful place and it's a beautiful story for a lot of musicians and there's also a lot of tragedy in it as well. But it's just an interesting place and an interesting place to uh, to talk about being from uh, relative to the music and relative to the dirt there and relative to the river that's there and just all those things. And I really don't talk that much about that. I, you know, even though people know I might be from Memphis, um, I don't really talk so much about that. I tend, I tend to be asked questions about, you know, the typical stuff. You know, like, what artists are you working with lately? What mm-hmm. records have you played on lately? What tour are you on? Sure, you sure. You know, what kind of drums do you play? All that kind of stuff. Well, and I'm and I'm interested to hear that 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 you used the expression "it's second to none" because I mean, listeners, this is coming from a guy you know who's in California who has spent years yeah. and years in Nashville, and here you are stumping for Memphis. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it all started there, you know, and and I mean, not just for me, but for uh, for really everyone in rock and roll. It started there, and uh, I mean we can go we can go back into you know uh, Robert Johnson all uh, down in Clarksdale, Mississippi, which is like an hour from south of, of Memphis, and we can talk about BB King on Beale Street, and we can I mean we can talk about Elvis and Jerry Lee Lewis and Carl Parkins and Johnny Cash, and we can talk about uh, Rufus Thomas. We can talk about I mean. 
Al Green, Isaac Hayes, the Barclays, you know, it's the box tops. It just goes on and on and on. And and not just with from not just rock and roll, but the birth of the blues, the birth of R and you know, it's just like a very intense place. And uh, none of it is born out of opportunity, we born out of adversity. And and that, you know, is as much as you know about music, I think you could relate. The music that's born out of adversity is usually impactful, you know. Yeah, and, absolutely. And uh, you know, and that kind of that kind of um, adversity for a musician to try to have a, le- a living, doing what they love in a place that could give a shit about whether or not you're interested in music, it's a little dichotomy, you know, and. Uh, that's sort of what Memphis is. It's just this remarkable place that uh, has a, it's much harder to get a life of music there than any place I've ever, I've ever worked out of really. Well, would you say that it's overlooked because of Nashville? I think that it's in the shadow of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because Nashville is a, is a very well for two, for two reasons. One, is Nashville is the capital city of the state, mm-hmm. okay? And and uh, Memphis is sort of, you know, the city over on the west side of the state that's uh, radically different than the middle part of the state, mm-hmm. culturally and otherwise. And, and um, you know how this works. Uh, revenue dollars don't f- don't fall too far from the tree. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so Nashville is sort of the jewel city, and the commerce there is, uh, to their credit in Nashville, the commerce is really intelligent about what they have. They understand that country music is a viable form of business that has to be fostered, and it has been for many, many years. And so uh, when you go to a place like Nashville as a musician uh, to start your career, first thing you find out is how community oriented uh, it is regarding them uh, musicians writers producers engineers you know all the other sectors you know that support the business the city is really set up to support it and uh, i remember when i moved there 27 years ago uh coming from memphis you know you you couldn't uh you couldn't write an application for a loan at a bank in Memphis and and write on your occupation line, musician. <laughs> if you did that, you were not going to get a mortgage, mm. you know? In Nashville, if you did do that, it becomes very competitive, and they do everything they can think of to find a way to make that happen. For you. Wow. Well, that's exactly what they did. Wow. You know? So... So as a musician who's now being treated by the city, you know, like I did, uh, when I moved, I certainly, I certainly actually was res- treated with respect and, you know, uh, not unusually so, but I was just treated like any other bloke that would walk through the door mm-hmm. with a job, mm-hmm. you know, and get a, and, and buy a house. So, so that was, that's the sort of thing that, creates the shadow over Memphis, you know, it's it's like as a, as a business and a chamber of commerce, Nashville is light years ahead of Memphis Mm. in that sense. Always has been, always will be. Interesting. You know, so yeah, it's, it really is. It's an, it's very interesting and, uh, tough place to, it's a tough place to, to come from trying to make a living, but it's the most wonderful place to come (laughs) from. Uh, because of his heritage, you know. Yeah. Uh, do you know who Reggie Young is? A guitar player. He's a very, very famous musician. Uh, he was in the Bill Black Combo. He played on all, all so many of Elvis's records. He was the number one session guitar player in Nashville for probably twenty five years, and uh, voted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Country Music Hall of Fame. The man's a legend. And uh, Reggie and I talked a lot about that, being from Memphis, how it was 
you know, impossible to carve out a good living doing what he did. He had to leave his hometown to go and do that. And Hmm. so did I. And so has, so have many, many others, Mm -hmm. you know, that Mm -hmm. have chosen music. Yeah. Nashville Nashville was uh, where I ended up. Actually, LA was where I wanted to end up. Uh, But it just, uh, as things worked out, Nashville became the first stop before I got here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a it's an appropriate segue and, and and by the way strong start strong start that's 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 great that's great insight that's that's tremendous tremendous conversation and and uh you know this this should go to uh to the Memphis uh, tourism bureau they they'd love to hear uh you know your 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 compliments your your kind words your support for for all things Memphis Well man I I I I do support it and I love it it's my hometown and I always will, and it's heartbreaking that it, I couldn't have just stayed there and, you know, carved out what I wanted to do musically there. But that was just not going to be the case. Sure, sure. Uh, but I got an incredibly rich heritage, and we can talk more about that too because I was actually trained by the guy who founded Stax. He, he and his partner were very instrumental in how I got educated. So wow, uh, you know, we can chat about that whenever you like. Okay, well, I've uh, I've got something a little later on that that that's probably going to tie in nicely with, but I did want to get okay. back to in in the intro. I mentioned that you're about to get back on the road with Joe Walsh. Uh, listeners, look for the uh-huh. band to be at the House of Blues in Las Vegas, November sixteenth, eighteenth, and nineteenth. So if you are in Las Vegas or you're going to be there on those dates, look for Joe Walsh and band at House of Blues. Then, Chad, as as I have followed the tour, it has seemed like a big full tour, followed by a break, then back out for just a handful, and then another break, and then back out again for a few more yeah. shows. Do you like that on-off approach, or, or would you prefer it to be one big, long, continuous tour, and when it's done, it's done until the next one? Well, I, you know, it's it's I, I actually to be to be honest, I kind of like it because I like the the on-off approach because it. I do so many other things besides that tour, you know, and touring with Joe and, and as much as I love it and, and, and enjoy doing it, there are other aspects to my career that I also have to nurture, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and keep up with. And I've got a really active uh, life as a, as a session musician. And then I also have an active life as a producer. And so those things also require time. And uh, it really works for me to go and do a month or two and then come home for a couple of months and pop out for a week here and a couple of weeks there. That really works for me uh, so that I can keep on top of all the other things I'm interested in doing and not just interested, but just my responsibilities otherwise, you know, that I have to, to take care of. Sure, sure. Yeah, it lends itself nicely to, to being able to, to literally have the best of both worlds. It really does, and you know I've done it both ways, and I know with uh, probably the most intensive touring I ever did was with with Mark Knopfler, and he likes to do it in a in it's a, it's sort of like a it's kind of like a two year program that he does. I'm, I'm not sure if he still does it this way, but but the ten years I was with him, we would make a record like we would go in and record a record usually in the fall or something like that late summer spend several months doing that then the following year go into rehearsals for about a month or so five six weeks then i'll take a a couple three weeks off then jump in and hit really hard Hmm. for anywhere from four to six months wow you know and and I mean, really hard. Like the first tour I did with him, uh, which was his first solo record post Dire Straits, mm-hmm. um, we did 13 shows in a row mm. before we had a day off. Whoa! Wow! And I've, ne- I've I've never done that. Wow! Ever before. And these were we were running three three plus hour shows. You know, we were going through all the Dire Straits catalog. And then also introducing a lot of this new solo music, and man, that was a lot of music. I'll say. And and uh, yeah, and I mean, day in, day out, thirteen in a row, day off, six in a row, day mm. off, 
five in a row, day off eight in a row. I mean, it was unbelievable. And uh, I don't, I really don't know how the crews managed to to do that, yeah, honestly. Yeah, but, and but they did. We did. We got through it. But but so that's got kind of the polar opposite of what you know we were just talking about about yeah. the way Joe tours and then, and then with Neil the way we work with Neil uh, that's usually more like a, a th- two to three week on sometimes a month and then you're off for a month mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and then in that schedule within that schedule of being on you know it'd be one show on day off two shows day off you know that really pretty manageable schedule you know phys- not so hard on you physically how do you how do you i don't want to say prioritize but you know if you're playing with neil young and you're playing with joe walsh and they've got overlapping dates how do you how do you come to terms with that you pray that never that never happens <laughs> <laughs> and then it usually does and then something happens and you know you just got to go do what you got to go do <laughs> Wow. You know, it's like, it's, it's, I've, well, I've run into that. And, um, I've run into that many, many times. I, I've, I've had conflicts like that with Peter Frampton and, uh, Mark's schedule and, and, uh, Joe's schedule and Neil's schedule. We would, because uh, Joe's bass player, Rick Rosas, and I, we were the same rhythm section with Neil. Mm. And so we would bounce back and forth between wow. Joe's wow. gig. And then and then and then Neil's stuff and it got tricky for a couple of times. It got very tricky, and uh, eventually, well, it just does. I mean, it's just the way the music business is. I, I know I was in Japan with Jackson Brown in 1990, I guess it was, and we had just uh, done the Freedom album with Neil, and the song "Rocking in the Free World" was what we cut for that record, mm-hmm. and. There was a uh, last-minute cancellation on Saturday Night Live, uh, and they lost their music talent for that night. And mm-hmm. Lorne Michaels called Neil's manager and said, "We've got, we've got an emergency. Would Neil be interested in performing on Saturday Night Live?" So I get this call. I get this call now, mind you. Everything's going along perfectly. The record we just finished this record, and uh, yeah, I was just gonna I was just gonna say that they uh, that Lorne Michaels obviously was wanting to jump on you know the timing of the song. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not even sure he knew about it yet. I oh, think, I think we had just cut the stuff, you know, and it was I think it was like just before that record was going to come out. And wow. Whatever it was, I think we were close enough to a release date that that his manager felt like, oh, this boy, this could be good. Mm-hmm. So, I here I am. I'm in Japan. You know, I'm. We've done with the record. I've got off time. I don't have to think about Neil for a minute. I'm good. I'm clear. <laughs> and uh, so I'm over in Japan working with Jackson. And I get this phone call from his man, Neil's manager, and, and he said, "Can you t- can you do Saturday Night Live?" like this coming Saturday, mm. you know, and I mean, it was less than a week's notice and I started scrambling, you know, and, and, um, I, we couldn't make it work with the international dateline. They couldn't even charter a jet mm. and put me on it and get me there in time wow. for the downbeat. Right. So I finally had to let go of it. It's just like, man, we, I can't, I can't get there. So they went, okay, well, we'll, we're, we're going to have to figure out, we're going to have to figure something out, what to, how to get, get around this. And so what Neil did is he flew to New York and got a rhythm section to do the song with him. And the performance on Saturday Night Live was with Charlie Drayton and Steve Jordan. You've seen it, I'm sure, wow, wow. you know. And, and that was the first public performance of mm. the song. How about that? And but but the bigger thing that ties into what you just asked me is that I didn't see Neil again for ten years. Oh <laughs> gosh! Because because Neil just kind of as Neil does, he sort of well he took off in another direction. Not with Steve and Charlie. He just went off in a different direction. Oh, okay. And so what I thought was 
perfect timing ended up being the worst possible time, <laughs> you know. But but it all worked out, you yeah. know, and, yeah. and it all does. It always does. It works out just kind of way, the way, sure. whatever way it's supposed to. But that was like, oh, geez, man, that just uh, killed me, you know. And what it really hurt for Rick is that it hurt Rick as well because Rick got swept away in the in that in that scheduling conflict, and he and so both of us didn't resurface with Rick for many years. Hmm. I've been with Neil for many years. But then once we got back together, we got right back up and we did some amazing yeah, work. Yeah, it was all again. good. So, yeah, so it all works out. Well, you know, listeners, if you're, if you're thinking about this, you know, juggling two different headliners that you're trying to perform with, uh, those of you who are with me on this show for a while now, you'll remember back on episode 122, when I interviewed Joe Walsh drummer Joe Vitale and and Chad to the non-drummer like me having two drummers on stage seems like it's just double the work mm-hmm. because now in addition to doing your job alone you're having to be completely in sync with another drummer and since you're mm-hmm. who sets the timing that seems like it has to be the kind of precision that that you know that only a computer would set am, am I right or is it a case yeah. of when you've been playing as long as we have it's it's not tough well it is tough it, it, it's tough. It's it's, and what it mostly requires is two guys that, first of all, have uh, relatively similar, not identical, but similar internal clocks. You know the way mm. we divide the space between the note, and then, um, you know, similar influences, similar uh, approaches to making the music, and um, and Joe and I, I. I do that better with him, I think, than I, anybody else I've ever done double drumming with. I I don't do a lot of that, mm-hmm. but I've done a fair amount and a fair amount of recording, doing that sort of thing, and um, it is really difficult to do, and it's horrific if it's not a good combination of players. You know, the yeah. guys that interpret things differently, it can really be bad. And, so, but Joe Bob and I don't have that problem. We, you, we almost don't even talk about it. it it's uh, well, sometimes we'll have to work out arrangement things or, or whatever. But generally speaking, we just play really intuitively well together, and you know we pick up on each other's language well to know, like if I'm if he's about to to advance into a drum fill, I can sense that that's coming. Wow, uh, I can. I don't know how we do it. I honestly don't <laughs> really know how we do it. It just kind of, it, we just have a way of being able to, and uh, and so it works well. I mean, it really does work well. And if you see the show, you know what I you'll see what I'm talking about. And it you know pretty consistently, uh, the words that I get back from from people are that. It just sounds like one drum, one really huge drum. No, and that's and that's got to be the, the the best compliment that that you'd want. And is you know because it as you said, I mean, you, is, yeah. you you don't see a lot of that to begin with. I mean, Phil Collins and Chester Thompson, oh. you know, are the first ones that that come to my mind. Um, but it's mm-hmm. still a rare thing. So you know, to to have the synchronicity that you have with Joe and and to get that kind of compliment, uh, that's you know, that's icing on the cake. It is, yeah. You mentioned before that that everybody always wants to ask you, you know, about the gear, but I'm I'm going to come at it from a little bit of a direction that's that's not exactly that. For for the drummers out there who want to know about the gear, go ahead and tell them, you know, what you're playing these days. But but for the up and comers okay. who are listening to the show each week to learn, after all these years, Chad, what what has to happen for someone like you to decide to completely switch to a different brand? Oh, interesting. That's a really good question. Um, you know, that's a really good question. Uh, and I've never been asked that question quite that way. Usually the question comes at me like, so what company are you playing for now? You know, and then mm-hmm. the perfunctory answer to that would be, well, I play for so-and-so and so-and-so because they're the greatest and they, t- you know, all yeah, that. Yeah. And and so what I, the way that I can answer that question is, the thing that makes me decide that I'm going to play something different is the same thing that makes a guitar player go and reach for 
uh, a different guitar. It, you know, a guitar player is not only going to play a Strat or a Les Paul or whatever it is, a Telecaster. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, he's going to probably have all three of those instruments in his uh, locker, mm -hmm. you know, and for, for creative reasons, he's going to pick something up because, it, you know, whatever his intuition is telling him, that's the instrument he needs to play. And it's this, it's, it, uh, it, it's like that for me as a drummer. If I play one thing forever, you know, then at some point I'm just going to, I'm going to be bored. You yeah, know, I'm yeah. going to be, I'm just going to, I'm going to like learn my, whatever my handful of tricks are on that drum kit, mm -hmm. with that setup. And that's going to kind of be, that's going to be my, 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 uh, repertoire until I find some other way to express myself and gear the drum set itself the way it feels, the way it sounds, not so much the way it looks, but that helps, uh, you know, but especially the way it feels and sounds, uh, that's going to inform me uh, in a really particular way that changes the way I approach the, the kit, which changes the way I approach the notes that I'm playing and might change even a little bit about the way I play, Wow, you know, and, and, uh, and that, that's just an, that just constantly evolves, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's just, an, it's always, so throughout, throughout all the years I've been doing this, you know, I started my very first kit, which is a side story. That's really a great story. I'll tell you, <laughs> it's a great story, but I'll get back to it. But, um, I, I started, uh, my first professional kit was a Gretsch kit, you know? And so I learned how to play on a Gretsch kit. And I mean, seriously, just learning how to play drums mm. on a Gretsch kit. And a lot of, uh, ironically, a lot of what I listened to in, in, at least in the early seventies, I got, I got way into Joe Walsh <laughs> and I got way into Vitaly and the Barnstorm record. The Barnstorm record is a really big, big record to me. It's a, it's a really influential record in my life. And, uh, so I liked what Joe Bob was doing with drums back then. And I, I really dug in on that stuff. So that was on a Gretsch kit, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. well then, then the next kit I ended up with was, uh, was a Ludwig kit. Uh, just after I graduated from high school, I'm living in London in a band signed to Elton John's label. Mm. And I'm the guy that lead led the band wanted a different kind of sound. Mm -hmm. So I ended up with this Ludwig kit, mm. played that for a while. Then, you know, that's a whole nother story. Then from there, you know, back in the States, after all that ran its course, back in the States, needing a new change, I'm on a Pearl kit, hmm. you know, and then it's, and then it's this. And eventually I ended up um, uh, doing my first endorsement with Pearl mm -hmm. and subsequent to that, uh, my next endorsement was a really long-term endorsement with Drum Workshop. Mm. Uh, longest I'd ever been with anyone was, was DW. Mm -hmm. And then after that, uh, I ended up with Craviato Drums with Johnny Craviato. He's, he, I lost him last year. And, uh, you know, Johnny is, is probably the finest drum artisan who ever walked the planet. Mm. And, uh, I'm really grateful that that guy came into my life when he did, the way he did, and that changed my life. And so wow. for the last almost nine years now, that's what I've been playing. Okay. So okay. so, so that's kind of like what drives all that to me is music and what I'm feeling like as a player, mm -hmm. you know. And, and uh, with massive gratitude to all those other companies that worked with me along the way, because they were really influential in my life too, you know? Sure, sure, absolutely. Okay, now it's time for Bruce's bonus. This is a segment here on Now Hear This Entertainment where I take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of Now Hear This Incorporated, giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it. Today's bonus is... 
If you are looking to increase the number of likes on your Facebook music page, you might try the old school method of inviting your friends to do so. I know, you've already done that. But when was the last time you actually looked at the list? People are known to clean out their friends list on Facebook and similarly to clean out the pages that they like. So yours might have been a casualty at one point, and so putting it back in front of them or getting it in front of people that you have become Facebook friends with since you last went through and utilized the invite friends option could net some new likes on your page, all without having paid to boost a post or place an ad. And that is today's Bruce's Bonus. How about that? Helpful? There are a whole bunch of tips just like that over all the prior episodes of this show. To make it easy for the listeners out there who are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers to get the tips in one concise format, there is a Bruce's Bonus Book Volume 1, Volume 2, and Volume 3 for purchase in ebook format, giving you all the tips from episodes 1 to 40, 41 to 80, and 81 to 120, respectively. Just go to www.brucesbonusbook.com for online ordering and instant delivery. Anyway, so let me circle back to that Gretsch kit I just told you about. Yes. Um, that Gretsch kit I'd owned for. I don't know, about two years, almost three years. And I got, I saw this modern kit made by Rogers uh, at a music shop and completely just had, you know, had to have them. <laughs> Lost my mind. You know, I'll do anything I got to do to get them. <laughs> so I sold the Gretsch kit Uh-oh. and I bought the, the Rogers kit, right? Sold it to this guy. And, uh, Bought the Rogers kit, and within six months, really was sure that I'd made the biggest mistake I could have oh, ever no. made. And I started on a journey to try to recover that drum set, wow. that Gretsch kit. Wow. My first kit, I tried to get it back. Could not find the guy. Couldn't remember the guy's name. No I, kidding. You know, I just couldn't figure out how to track the guy down. Mm-hmm. And... Um, just thought, okay, well, I guess that's that. You know, I'm going to give up on that. And that's like, we're talking about 1973, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, so last year, well, along the way, about every 10 years or so, I would connect with this old, very dear old friend of mine, and that drum set would always come up in the conversation. <laughs> You know, and I would always be like, damn, I wish I had never gotten rid of those. <laughs> this guy was a high school mate of mine. He uh-huh. was with me when I got him, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, so it was just a thing we like to talk about. And so last year in March, that friend of mine, my high school mate, passed away. Hmm. And, uh, and uh, you know, which is a whole other story. Sad loss. Very dear friend. And very shortly after that, um, I started talking about that that drum set again with my brother. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, "Yeah, you know," he says, "Oh yeah, I remember." We're just reminiscing with about my friend Jay and and all that. And he goes, "Oh yeah," and he goes. And so we talked about it for a few minutes, and then he just said, "Well, I got I got to go. I got to." We got some old furniture. We got to find some guy to fix this stuff. So, all right, talk to you later. Well, a couple of days later, my brother calls me back and he goes, I need to talk to you. Can you call me? And I rang him up and he said, there was a guy that was just here. We've got in the yellow pages and um, there was a guy that was just here that does furniture restoration, uh, antique restoration. And uh, when the guy showed up, he noticed my last name, and uh, he said, "He said, by any chance, are you related to Chad Cromwell?" And I said, "And he said, yeah, that's my brother." Oh boy! And he went, "Well, I'm the guy that bought the Gretsch kit." Oh, <laughs> okay. oh, man! So, yeah. So, so uh, he, so my brother conscious says. This is this guy, you know, this is the guy. And I said, all right, well, I'm going to, I got to ask you. I said, did you guys talk about the kid? And he went, he's 
still has them. Oh, no. He still got them. Oh, my gosh. And so, so I said, I said, I said, Kyle, I've got to talk to this guy. <laughs> I have to talk to this guy. So he, he made the arrangements for the, yeah. So he made the arrangements for the two of us to talk. I called the guy up and I just said, I don't even know what to say to you, man, <laughs> other than, other than for 40 something years, I've been looking for those drums. And, uh, I just said, is there any chance, is there any chance you would consider selling them back to me? You know, and he just said, oh, he says, man, I don't know. He said, I, I really love these drums. I mean, I've, I've just, you know, I've had them all this time, you know, and I, I, I really, I really like them a lot. He says, but, but he says, you know what? I don't know how I can ignore this. This is kind of maybe a, this is a little bit bigger than me. Yeah, this is yeah. what's going on. Here. Yeah. And he said, would you give me the weekend to just think about this? And I said, absolutely. Take all the time you need. And just said, I just said, rest assured, I'll, I will do anything you want to do on this. You know, I'll, I'll, I can arrange for a new kit for you, whatever it is you want to do. You just tell me. I'll buy them. You say whatever. I would just really be grateful to get them back. So he called me back the following Monday. He said, you know what? He said, I knew it when I was talking to you, but I just needed to needed to make peace it with it. Think about it. Yeah. You know, and he just said, "This is your. This these need to come back to you. These are yours." Amazing. You know, amazing. Said, okay, and so so then I made arrangements. Uh, uh, all he wanted was for me to put something together that he could play and be happy with. Yeah. So I arranged for a, a beautiful new kit for him and hook just symbols and stand wow. everything. You wow. know, just completely hooked wow. him up and and drove. Kept it. They'd stayed in Memphis all those years. Mm. I drove to Memphis. Mm pick them up, picked them up, and brought them back. And you so, wept. Tell me that I'm, you wept. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Tell me that you sat yeah. in a chair, stared oh. at the drums, and wept. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I absolutely did. It was pretty incredible. Oh, my pretty gosh. Incredible. What a story. What a yeah. story. Listeners, yeah. that'll do it. We'll see so, you next week. I mean, how, how do we go on from there? That's amazing. <laughs> wow. Wow. It's a crazy story. Oh, it's my a gosh. It's a story. But, uh, but it, was, it was really, really, really fun to... Oh experience that um, and, yeah and, uh, thank you for sharing that i'm glad i'm glad you circled back around to that that's that's yeah that's that's going in that's going in the uh in the now here this entertainment greatest hits that's wow oh good oh good. man so anyway so needless to say uh gretch drums are back in my life again there you go and, and uh so I'm, i might play gretches for a little while i don't know <laughs> but but uh, but they're there they're waiting for me when i'm ready and, very cool and uh you know, in the meantime, I've got the Craviatos and the old Ludwigs, and you know, there's, there's, uh, there's plenty of stuff to go reach for. Cool, cool. Well, uh, listeners, since we're talking about gear, I have to tell you about what I'm using these days, which musicians can use to record as well. I'm sitting right now at my Track Factory, which is a recording solution from Tascam, something that they rolled out earlier this year. It's it's everything you need in a box, and it sets up quickly. You'll, you'll be recording, say, I'm going to say within an hour, but less than that. There's a microphone, headphones, a small Intel computer preloaded with Windows 10 and Cakewalk's audio editing program called Sonar. There's an, I'm looking at it all right now. There's an audio interface, a mouse, a keyboard. I have chosen to throw a pair of Tascam monitors onto mine for when I want playback in the room. There's pictures of all this stuff, uh, of my Tascam gear throughout the Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account. But head over to Tascam.com, T-A-S-C-A-M, Tascam.com to see the various audio and recording solutions they have available. I mentioned uh, Joe Vitale before, and listeners, if you are a regular to this show, thank you, of course. And you know that uh, in terms of drummers, I've also had guests on, such as Matt Sherrod, the drummer for Crowded House. That was back on episode 104. And then on episode 161, Brian Scoggin, he's the drummer for Casting Crowns, the wildly popular Christian band who just hit 10 million albums sold for their storied career. And of course, everyone knows that my all-time favorite band is Rush, so I haven't interviewed him, but I certainly stand in admiration of Neil Peart. Uh, Chad, who are some current drummers that you would tell someone, listen, fella, if you don't know who so-and-so is, definitely check him out. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I mean, you know, for, uh, for young, for guys that have been around doing this for a while, I mean, 
I mean, I, I would tell you to go listen to Steve Jordan. I'd tell you to go listen to Steve Dad. You know, I'd tell you to listen. Obviously, go, go listen to Ringo. You know, he's, you know, listen to Al Jackson from the Stax days. Uh, golly, man. Uh, it just goes on and on and on and on. But uh, James Gadson, L.A. Session, great here. Uh, there's so many great drummers in our in our past and in our history. Uh, but, you know, like, man, some of the new guys, you know, like I think Taylor Hawkins is a great young rock and roll drummer, and he's mm-hmm. not that young anymore. What am I saying? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just an ancient drummer now. So <laughs> I'm calling you... I'm, the young guys are guys who've got grown kids now. Yeah, so, uh, I think he's really great. You know, great spirit about him. And uh, you kind of got me on the spot here of trying to think of some other guys like that immediately come to mind. Oh, Bruno Mars is like a really fine player. You know, not many of us think about him as a the drummer. Yeah, but he's a really good drummer. That guy can play. Interesting. You know, and. Uh, yeah, yeah. And um, let me think here a second. I think Matt Chamberlain is fantastic. Uh, great technical player, you know, great, great group guy. Uh, uh, well, I think that I think that's a pretty hearty list. I think I think you've given out a, a lot of yeah. names there that, you know, listeners, if you don't know who who one or more of those guys are, go and go and look them up for sure. Yeah, look up uh, Omar Hakim. Look up. Uh, Let's see, gosh, I'll give you more names as we go here. But there, there's a lot of cats out there that are that are really, really good. And obviously, there are a lot of young guys coming up that are unbelievable players. I just don't. I'm just not. So I just don't know who they are. I've seen stuff on television and just gone, "Wow, that dude is playing." You know. I think Danny Carey is a really interesting player. That the drummer in, in Tool. Mm-hmm. I think that guy is a really good player. Uh, he's sort of in the Neil Part family, you know. Mm-hmm. A little bit, a little bit of that. High technical, you know. Listeners, speaking of Omar Hakim, go back a few weeks ago. Listen to episode one ninety three when my guest was uh, Catherine Hoxie. She talked about uh, her time, um, her connection with Omar Hakim. Check out that interview. Um, Chad, I want to go back to when you were talking about Memphis earlier. You know, if if somebody pokes around online, they see, you know, as, as we discussed, that you were born in Kentucky and, and, and moved to Memphis. And then uh, 10 years after that, it was Nashville. But, you know, how how do you go from, you know, at age eight, you started playing drums. And then at age 12, you were in garage bands. So so yeah. bridge the gap. How How do you end up? recording and touring with Joe Walsh in 86? Well, I mean, the, the way that I did that was I was working at a studio in Memphis, and Joe was in visiting uh, his girlfriend at the time who lived was from Memphis, and we ha- we accidentally met up at, at a studio in Memphis where he was hanging out, and I got invited to jam, Wow, you know? Wow, that's literally how it happened. Wow, and and well, I mean, we met. It was it was in, it was actually uh, the night we met. Uh, we were just hanging out. The jamming happened the next day or two. Mm-hmm. But sort of the meeting led to let's have a play. The let's have a play led to hey, you want to do a gig? And then the next thing that happened beyond that was hey, you want to do a tour? You want to do a record? You know, it's just mm-hmm. like all of that kind of kind of fell in place you know but see i want to say that if we were doing a video interview right now that at the bottom of the screen we'd be flashing results not typical but you know because it because it doesn't happen that way you know but but i'm but i'm leaving it open for you to say yeah it kind of does because you know if you know the right people you do just kind of get invited to stuff but but you didn't know joe no i didn't know him at all but but he you know for whatever reason at the time he was kind of in you know whatever a hiatus or or was not like locked into any particular band at the time i don't really remember i know all i remember specifically is that he he was he was doing a lot of guest djing on uh rock 
rock and roll radio stations. <laughs> he would go around the country and be a guest DJ uh, wow. with his bass player, Rick. And they, they had this radio show they did together. They were really funny. <laughs> and uh, they would do go and be a guest be guests for whatever, three, four days, a week, whatever. And then they would usually do a gig at the end of the week. How cool right? is that? And, and, and yeah, and then, that, and then they would be gone. Well, the first one I did with him, I thought that's what was going to happen. And, uh, but it wasn't what I was, I went to, uh, to, uh, um, Dallas and stayed down there. They handed me a giant pile of show tapes and sent me to my hotel room and just said, start learning this music mm. and we'll be, we'll let you know we're going to rehearse a couple of times. But the show I was going to do with them was a, um, it was a show here in L.A. It was a big uh, uh, rock and roll. It was a KLOS. And it was a big annual show they do uh, at a sh big shed down here, Irvine Meadows. And Joe was one of the, he was the headliner of this thing. You know, so my first gig with Joe was at this big festival thing. And I never, we never rehearsed. Uh, the, the the promised rehearsals never occurred. So I just got on a plane with those guys. We flew to L.A., did the show, which was intense. And then we left the gig and we got right back on a plane and flew back to Dallas. Unreal. Unreal. Yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff. Listeners, I'm talking with drummer Chad Cromwell. Visit his website, chadcromwellmusic.com. And for his discography, you can go to a website called allmusic.com and find Chad on there. Social media-wise, you can find Chad on Instagram. And you can, of course, watch joewalsh.com for tour dates to see where and when you can go see Chad performing in those shows. If you are looking to interact with this show, you can send an email to podcast at nhte.net, or you can engage with us on Facebook, Twitter, and or Instagram there are icons that link to all of those on our website, which is nhte.net. So, Chad, what, what do you think has been the key to sustaining all the success that you've had over so many years, getting so much work with so many different major national recording artists? Man, you know, I, I think it's, I think mostly it's, well, been really, really, really fortunate. And, and then on top of that, I think, you know, one of the, probably one of the best things that I learned that that is a direct tie into my uh, 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 my relationship with Jim Stewart and Bobby Manuel from Stax that we'd spoke about early, very early in the interview I learned uh, it's the greatest lesson I could have ever learned as a musician and that was those guys taught me not how to be a better drummer drummer kind of guy they taught me how to play songs they they taught me how to make a living in the music industry i mean just specifically they said to me if you want to know how to make a living doing this then pay attention to what we're going to tell you and uh i did and they 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 taught me the value of simplicity and they taught me the value of paying attention to the value of the song and what the song was trying to, you know, hmm. what the song was all about and how to translate in drummer's terms the foundation of those songs, you know. And, and I, I mean, I couldn't have gotten a better education. I, it's just, I, I couldn't have gotten a better education. And uh, that's how, that's I think, how I've managed to do this as long as I have is most of the people that hire me, I don't so much think they think of me as, oh, look at that badass drummer out there playing super drums. I think they just, I th I'm not even sure they're even aware of that. I just think the people in my industry call me because I know how to play the song. Right, I know how to right. play for a song. And, 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 I, and I also know what my comfort zone is as a musician and I'm not going to put myself outside of that. I'm not going to try to tell somebody I'm a great jazz player to get a great jazz gig. I'm not, I would mm -hmm. never do something like that. Mm -hmm. So 
I let the great guys that do jazz be great in jazz, and I'll, I can play a great groove. I can give you a great groove. I know I can do that. Absolutely. You know? Well, and God bless you for 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 you know for holding on to that for so many years because for them to tell you that so so many years ago at the time it's okay i gotta be a sponge i gotta learn whatever these guys tell me and then they tell you yeah. that and you do it at first but to sustain that mindset for so many years my hat is off to you because eventually you know the temptation is step aside I, i've been doing this long enough I, i'll just sit behind the behind yeah. the kit and put it on cruise control i don't need to feel the song i don't need to to recognize the simplicity, you know, it, it's real easy to let your ego say, okay, show off. And, and my hat's off to you for, for sticking with that approach for so, so many years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, part of that, part of that is if you got to raise, if, you know, I, I raised a family, you know, and, and, uh, I had, I had to support a family, you know, I was, I was a single income guy and, 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 uh, you know, if I got too self-indulgent about my craft, I was going to lose clients, mm. and uh, that was a that was just a practical thing. You know, it was like, well, I can't mess with this too much because I, if my kids can't eat or or do whatever, get you know new shoes, clothes, whatever, if I can't provide that, then uh, then I'm not being fair to them, yeah. and. Uh, you know, so part of it was an unconscious reality. Is like, oh, I got no choice here, man. Mm-hmm. I got to take care of these kids, mm-hmm. right? So, so that was that was part of it. And then the other part of it really was like, man, I like to play grooves. I love the way that feels. <laughs> you know, I mean, I like it. So, you know, I, I like the fact that that I might not do more than one or two drum fills in a in a track. You know, I enjoy that. Yeah, it was a need and a desire. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, a- and you absolutely. know, sharing with 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 us what you did about what they told you way back when. I I, I planned to ask you for any advice that you'd like to give to to up and coming performers that are listening. But I think you just did. I mean, unless there's something that something completely yeah. different that you want to tack on, I think you did. I think that's that's great advice that they gave you, and obviously it served you well. Yeah, well, it's it's it did serve me well and continues to do so. Uh, I mean, I've, I've been doing this a long time professionally, and and I'm still able to do this, and uh, and people still do find that what I do has value to them, and I'm I'm grateful for that. But what I would uh, just add to that is is that any player that wants to do this, they've got to follow their own path. You know, they've got to follow what their vision is for the music they want to do. And if the, if that, if the vision is forming a band called rush and, (laughs) and being a progressive rock band and the drummer is going to play a million drum fills because that's part of the language, then that's what that is, right? Mm -hmm, That's okay. mm -hmm. That's your decision. That's, that's okay. This is where I'm going. And and then if that is where you're going, then be prepared to die on the hill. That's how you'll get there. You know I like it. I like it. Right. So so don't you know, it it because very few of us pick what we want to do and then just go do it as if there were nothing there were no price for getting to that mm. goal. There's mm-hmm. a price. There's a heavy mm-hmm. price we all have to pay. So just be sure that the path you're on is the one you really want to be on. Nice. You know, nice. You get one, we all get one shot, don't we? We all yep. get one yep. shot around the, around the planet and, and, you know, making the right choices sometimes is, is, is hard to do. Well, and uh, we've, we've made a lot of references to it through, throughout this conversation, but you have done a ton of session work over the years. And, and as obvious as it might seem on the surface, just educate the listeners on the difference, you know, between being on stage for a concert and only getting one shot versus doing mm-hmm. studio work where you're in a controlled setting and you can do multiple takes. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, that's, you know, well, you just said it. If you're performing live, then then you've got one swing at it, you know. And, and, uh, and, I'll, and actually, I'm going to use Knopfler 
as the analogy for all this because this this applied to live and studio. When we played live, when we would do a show live, um, and and actually Neil, I'll, I'll also add Neil singing there too because it's so different than the way Mark did it. Um, with Mark, we all consciously. Uh, I even remember the words being used where we're okay. We're you know we're going to go take another swing at this show. Let's go mm. see how much we can get away with. Let's see how well we can do it. And and it really was like a, a this concerted effort of trying to deliver this sort of masterful dynamic performance of a three-hour show. Okay, mm. and we thought of it. And I always do now with any kind of live show. I I don't think of it as like a set list of 15 songs. I I see it as one song, the whole show. You know, I I look at it as a, okay, you, you know, you, you, it's just one song. It's a breathing, living event that occurs for an hour and a half Mm -hmm. or two and a half hours, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, you know. So that's it. One shot. And so you blow the ending of life's been good. Shit. You know, <laughs> and, and you make a mistake on whatever else. Shit. You know, <laughs> and then every now and then you'll get one of those sets where you just nail it, you know, and everybody else is nailing it with you. And you come off the stage feeling like you're immortal. You know, it's a greatest, <laughs> greatest feeling ever. And then, so then, on the other side of it, on the recording side, you go in to record a song, and in Mark's case, we could spend, in really tough situations, a day and a half to two days getting one song on tape. Wow. Okay? We could, have, we, we could conceivably have done 30 to 40 takes of a song. Mm-hmm. You know? And by the time you get to the other side of playing a song that many times, making these minute little changes <laughs> along the way, your brain is fried. You don't even know what you're listening to anymore, mm-hmm. you know? And and so there's that kind of minutia that you've got to be able to do in a studio that's unlike anything you'll ever do live. Yeah, yeah. And then it's, it's intense mental and physical discipline. And... Uh, and then the, the counter to that recording-wise is the way I record with Neil, which is <laughs> all he's interested in doing, generally, is just capturing a photograph of a song as fresh as it can possibly be, minutes after it's been written. Get it on tape before mm. we even know it. Just play wow. it you know? I like that. And so there's a, there's a rough, rough kind of edgy... There's no thinking and arranging really going on. It, yeah, I was just going to say it's spontaneous. That, yeah, totally spontaneous and, and and deeply intense, but in a completely different way. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it can be that kind of experience, in a, in a record, which really is more like performing live, mm-hmm. you know, except you've never heard the song before. And now you're making a record. <laughs> so, you know, that kind of thing. Variety is the spice of life, yes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it certainly is. It certainly is. And, I'm, I'm, man, listen, I'll be the first guy to tell you, I've been a lucky guy, you know. I've, I've gotten to play with a lot of amazing artists and, and uh, record with a lot of, of great artists, perform, tour, in some cases, write with, you know. It's just, it's just, been such a great ride and i'm having more fun now than i've ever had awesome that's the best so, part hearing you yeah. say that that's that's yeah, fantastic really yeah yeah that's the beauty of what we do and listeners again in a minute i'm going to give you that website to go look at for chad's discography because he really has gotten to play with just a tremendous list of artists over the years but chad this has been just outstanding thank you ever so much really enjoyed it oh you're very welcome man i appreciate it it's glad to be on here Listeners, that will do it for this week's episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to drummer Chad Cromwell. Again, his website, 
is chadcromwellmusic.com. And then the website where you can look for his discography is allmusic.com. And then just look for Chad on there. Social media-wise, he is on Instagram. And, of course, as I mentioned before, you can watch joewalsh.com for tour dates to see where and when you can go see Chad performing in those shows. Again, if you are looking to interact with this show, you can email podcast at nhte.net or you can engage with us on Facebook, Twitter, and or Instagram. There are icons that link to all of those on our website, which is nhte.net. I'm really grateful to everyone who listens, and I will talk to you again next week on another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. <laughs>